You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. Repeat after me. Dad. 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 Who's your favorite? Mom. It's great, isn't it? I love it. It's, uh, there's tons of those on, on YouTube. But it's so true, right? I mean, I think mom is often our favorite. Uh, growing up in my house, at least, uh, mom was good for comfort. She was good for snuggles. When you hurt yourself, you ran to mom, right? Uh, and she was the one that cooked the meals and kept us fed. So there was a good reason why I preferred mom a lot. Well, there can be a lot of reasons for why we prefer one individual over another, why we can have a favorite. And we can have reasons to justify that or base our preference on all kinds of things. You know, like we could, we could do things like dads, like which kid sleeps in in the morning, you know? That might be the one I prefer. Or, um, a little harsh. <laughs> or, you know, maybe, maybe we, we prefer someone because of how we feel when we're around them, right? They, they make us feel good or we like being with them. You know, or maybe, maybe they, we just find them more interesting. Like they have good topics of conversation. They like a lot of the same things we like. No matter what the reasons for why we have favorites and not favorites, it's still favoritism. It's still playing favorites. Favoritism, it's universal, right? No one had to teach that little girl how to prefer mom over dad. It's innate. No one had to teach my little boy who's one years old who to prefer, Amy or I. It just... In, it's just ingrained in us. It's a natural predisposition. And when they're little, it's cute, right? We can make videos and we can laugh and, uh, you know, it's funny. But, but when favorites involve people, things can get ugly, right? I'm sure we've all heard stories of, of parents who play favorites and how it wounds children or how aunts or uncles play favorites and it, it, it wounds nephews or nieces or, or even in its ugliest form when grandparents who have lived life a long time, play favorites and wound grandchildren. You see, it's messy when favorites involve people. And that's what I want us to talk about today. I want us to talk about playing favorites. If we don't know each other, I'm Nick. I've been on staff here for a good long while. And today I get the privilege of continuing our seven-week series on the letter of James. You know, throughout this letter we've been seeing, and we're going to continue to see that James' ultimate focus is to call his original readers, and then therefore us, to live a more consistent faith, to live like our faith and our actions match up, to have spiritual integrity. That's his goal throughout. Two weeks ago, we started off uh, reflecting on the first half of chapter one, and we saw that trials build our faith. Last week, we got to hear from Russ as we learned that Obedience, or doing the word, builds our faith. From this point forward in the letter, James, he's going to zoom in on key examples of this principle. His, his focus will still remain, overarching focus, on having consistent faith, faith where action and, and belief match up. This week, we get to take a look at James' focus on our tendency to show favoritism. That's where he zooms in. He's going to tell us that showing favoritism is not kingdom living. 
He's going to show us that partiality is sinful in our lives. Ultimately, what he's saying, what he's trying to reveal to us is that preferential treatment, it's just wrong. It's not God's way. That's what he's calling us to. Let's unpack this this passage a little bit. Today, we're going to look at the first half of chapter 2. It's it's James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. And if you've had a chance to study this passage, you may have seen it's it's a little, it's pretty straightforward, which I really appreciate. It's, uh, you know, James, he's sort of a no-nonsense guy. He's straight to the point right away. Uh, he tells us what we need to hear, and then he, and then he backs it up. So right away, in verse 1, he's going to tell us, don't show favoritism. Then he's going to give an example of what that looked like to, in his original reader's context. Then he's going to give us three reasons why you shouldn't show favoritism. And he's going to give us an exhortation to live mercifully towards other people. Hopefully that diagram's helpful. Sometimes visually it helps me understand what's going on in a passage. So, so let's dive in. Let's look at this, uh, this passage. First we're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 4. And here we're going to see that James offers the command not to show partiality and offers that example of what it was looking like for his, uh, his original readers. So let's read. My brothers... Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, sit here in the good place, shall you say to the poor man, stand over there and sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Pretty straightforward, right? If you have faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there is no place for showing favoritism. Playing favorites is not the way of Jesus or his people. That's verse 1. He comes right out and tells us here. You know, and then he goes on, right? He goes on and calls out an example of specifically what that was looking like in their context, in the churches he's writing to. See, they were giving special attention and honor to those dressed nicely, the rich that were in their midst. And they were ignoring or casting aside the raggedly dressed, the poor. They were playing favorites based on appearance and economic status. James calls this evil. They've become judges with evil thoughts wrong. He calls this evil because making judgments on another's, another human being's exterior is wrong. We know this, right? It's prejudice. We know a thing or two about that if we look at our country's history. The temptation to show favoritism, for them, it was, on, uh, it was to be prejudice based off of wealth and exterior looks. Did you look wealthy or did you look poor? I wonder what it is for us. I wonder what it is for you and I. I wonder what it is for Alani Life. As I asked that question to a number of you this week, I heard a lot of motives. I heard a lot of reasons for why, why we might show favors. And as I thought about it, it, it kind of fell into three camps. And so, so I wanted to talk about those two. I think first, we can be tempted to show favoritism to those who are like us. right? People that look like us, act like us. And we're tempted to do this because these people, honestly, they're just easier for us to love. They're like us, so we get them. 
we gravitate towards people that have our common interests, that look like us, that pursue the same degree as us. You know, and, and we prefer people that agree with us. And if we don't, we just kind of hide them from our social media feed, right? Or we unfriend them, right? Unfollow them. Uh, we kind of curate our lives to be around people that are like us. And we do this because it's natural to prefer the people that are like us and, and that we get along with that have common interests, right? But natural doesn't always mean right. God calls us to something greater. You know, this is, this is the area where I show favoritism the most in my life. The hardest people for me to love are the people that think they know it all and want to tell me that all the time. You know, the people that correct me regularly in a public context or, or just one-on-one. You know the type of person, their favorite word is actually, and they start most of their sentences that way. Actually, that was not correct. Actually, Nick, James meant this way. These people, they're really hard for me. They're really hard for me because I am prideful about how much I know. It's a value that I hold. It's my worth. It's what I know and what I can offer. And when somebody calls me out as wrong, when they reveal that I didn't know something, it's embarrassing. It's shaming. I don't like it. And so I want to hide from these people. I want to avoid these people, right? And so in my flesh, I think about, you know, maybe not inviting them to that event I'm holding or, or just being friends with other people rather than them. Maybe in my worst moments, I look for ways to get it right back to them, to show them where they're wrong. I wait for that moment when they're going to be wrong, and I can say, actually... See, preferring people that are easier for us to love and avoiding those that aren't, it's showing favoritism. And so in my life, I have to work really hard to be compassionate towards those kinds of people. I have to humble myself when I'm around them. I have to call it sin when I see it in my heart, when I desire to avoid or show favorites towards people that don't correct me all the time, that just kind of go along with what I think. I have to call it sin, and then I have to ask for forgiveness and for God to show me how to love them, how to accept them. I have to work hard to build a relationship and overlook what, what in my heart and flesh just says, get away. Well, uh, another way, maybe, maybe that doesn't ring true with you, maybe another way that we can show favoritism, and some of you shared with me, is uh, we prefer people that have something to offer us rather than people that need something from us. Right, we... we find ourselves gravitating towards people that maybe raise our social standing or, or people that are generous with their possessions or, you know, or, just, or just people that are smarter and can help us along in our classes and our exams. It's something that they can give us. You know, we avoid the people that are harder or might need something from us that, can, that we might help, have to help bring along. I think we see this really prominently in middle school or grade school when you're picking teams, Right? Sports teams, wow, how dreaded was that? <laughs> Stand in a line and have your value decided by when you got picked. That's really what was going on there, it felt like. No one wanted to be the last picked, right? I, I suffered that a lot. And it says something really awful about you as a human being, it feels like, in that moment, doesn't it? That's what our society is doing. right? The assumption is the first person picked contributes the most towards the chance of the team to win. And the last person picked, they're more like a liability. right? We've got to choose them to be the last. 
Yeah, or, or, or maybe maybe it came at you this way in school. Maybe it was the friend group that you wanted to be in so that you were part of the in crowd, that you were part of the cool kids or the popular kids, that you would be accepted and not excluded. I think there's a lot of ways we can play favorites. But let's move away from middle school. I might end up cowering in the corner. It was a, it was a weird time. I think for a lot of us, it's a rough life. Let's not go back. Uh, see, the point is, when we pick who we associate based on whether they have something to offer us or whether they, we avoid them because they have something they might need from us, we're playing favorites. And James says, it's wrong. And if, if you're doing it, you may have become a judge with evil thoughts. And I thought, think of one other way, uh, one other camp. I think we can show favoritism based off of good looks and social ability, right? Do we prefer the people that are more physically attractive or socially put together by the world standards? Right, the smooth talker or the one that's just this, they have it together. I think we can prefer these people and we can avoid awkwardness, right? Because we don't like awkward people or being awkward. It, it might make us feel uncomfortable or embarrassed for that person. And we don't like that, so we avoid it. So we prefer the people that are more put together, that we don't have to be embarrassed around. I wonder if we have to explain them to our other friends. You know, the thing of it is, when we survey the people that we surround ourselves with, and we realize that we're friends with the people that are just like us. We are friends with people that have something to offer us rather than people that need something from us when we are friends with people that are just preferred by society rather than those that are not, we may be in jeopardy of being evil. We may be showing favoritism. James tells us that's not kingdom living. He calls us to something else. I think a good test for us, Alana Life, to see if we are showing favoritism is how we reflect, uh, if we reflect on how we treat visitors at our small groups and at Sunday mornings. You know, d- did you notice the girl that came to small group that was dressed really fashionably and had, had the latest trends? Did you approach her and welcome her and uh, become best friends? What about the guy that came with messy hair and a torn T-shirt? Did anybody make friends with him? Anybody welcome him? Did, do you prefer the people in your discussion that show their wide Bible knowledge because it's fun to talk to them or they're digging into the passage? But, but it's hard to talk to the person who disagrees with it. It says they're not sure they believe it. They're not sure if they'll come back. Or, or maybe even today. Think about the Super Bowl. And, and as you're planning your Super Bowl party or get-together, did you only invite your friends that like to talk about sports or your friends that make the best snacks? Because we know that's what the Super Bowl's about, right? Uh, <laughs> did anybody invite the guy that's visited a few times that's, He's pretty lonely and could use some friends. He doesn't really get sports or, or, or know what to, who's playing. Did anybody invite him? How we treat visitors reveals our heart. It reveals our heart on this issue and tells us if we're playing favorites. James tells us not to. That's not kingdom living. Let's continue on in our passage and see what, what else he has for us. As James goes on, as I mentioned, he's going to give us three reasons why showing favoritism is wrong. First, we're just going to look at these, these first two. Uh, we'll find them in verses five and seven, or five to seven. 
And here he's going to tell us that God's values aren't necessarily the world's values and that giving preference to the rich doesn't make sense in their context, and probably ours. So read with me. Listen, my dear brother, my Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. You know, from our perspective, we're tempted to think that the rich, that they're more blessed, that they have it all together, they have it better. But James, here, he's reminding them and us that the poor, no, they're, they're rich in terms of faith. That's what God values, faith, not monetary wealth. He also, he goes on right and he says, aren't the, the rich the ones that are oppressing you? They're the ones causing the trouble, the trials I already told you is building your faith. And beyond that, they're dishonoring God. Why should you honor them? It's just foolishness to do this. That's, that's his point in these, these, these two points here. His first reason for why playing favorites is not kingdom living is the, that the value of the, that the world places on things is not the value that the kingdom places on things. It's not God's values. The poor in the world are rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? We saw that again referenced in in, uh, chapter 1. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is referring to Jesus' teaching. He does this throughout his letter. He's drawing on God's consistent care and uh, compassion for the orphan, the widow, and the childless, for those less fortunate. Those that are poor in the eyes of the world are rich in the eyes of the Lord, as Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right? That's God's upside-down kingdom again. God's place, God's church, is the place where the first are last and the last are first. The place where weak is strong and the place where the God of all creation stepped into it to serve rather than be served. That's the upside-down kingdom. James, he's reminding us that the church is supposed to be this place. It's supposed to be the place where the upside-down kingdom reigns. In the church, the poor are rich because of their faith. And there's no place for giving preferential treatment based on monetary wealth. It has no significance in the eyes of God. You see, the world, it values the outward appearance, right? But God, it... He values the inner. He he cares about what's in our heart, the inner life. I I couldn't help but but think about this, and the commentaries were were illuminating it. This principle is on full display as Jesus confronts the Pharisees on their outward display of religion and inward inconsistency. He calls the Pharisees whitewashed tombs, if you remember. He's saying they appear beautiful on the outside, but they're full of death and decay on the inside. You see, they, they seemed righteous from the exterior. If you looked at what they said and what they looked like, 
but their hearts, they were full of hypocrisy and wickedness. That's spiritual inconsistency. That's the kind of behavior James is warning us against, spiritual inconsistency. He's calling us to be people that have faith in Jesus and live our lives like that matters, like it makes a difference. One of the ways that we can do that is to live valuing the things God values rather than the things the world values. We can value those things rather than showing favoritism towards worldly things. In our lives, this might look like following leaders that have a vibrant relationship with the Lord and can teach his word rather than those that are smooth talkers or dress nice or or put on a hip service. Right? Maybe, maybe it looks like befriending someone just because they are a brother or sister in Christ rather than whether they are like you, look like you, or have common interests. You know, or, or, or at its core, valuing the things that God values rather than the world might look like not finding your worth in your GPA and making your friendships around people that can help you in your study group. James, he goes on, he gives his second reason, and it's, it's pretty straightforward. He, he's saying they're playing, uh, they're playing favorites, and they're honoring people that are dishonoring God, right? The rich are the very ones causing the trials and oppression that they're, they're facing. And so it just doesn't make sense to honor them. Right? They're the ones causing hardship, and they dishonor God, who you have been called by. He appeals to their logic, saying it doesn't make sense to treat the rich better than the poor. Let's, let's move on. Let's see what, what our third reason is. It's the most developed. It's probably where most of our questions came in small groups. I know the ones that I talked to this week, that's where they were. Well, this is his most developed of the three reasons. He's going to show us that showing partiality, it's just wrong. It's not loving. So let's read. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. There's a lot going on, right? Royal law, transgressors, guilt, quoting the Ten Commandments, adultery, murder. It's it's kind of all over the place, it feels like. I think it's helpful. Take a step back and remember our original audience. Remember what we've said these last two weeks in our introductions, that... uh, James is writing to Jewish believers in the early church, really early on in the, the, um, the faith. These Jews, they believed that Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah, and they were very familiar with the Old Testament law. It was what they originally were following. They were familiar with the Ten Commandments as a subset of that law, and they were very familiar with the teachings of Jesus as a fulfillment of that law. Here, James, he's tapping into that knowledge. 
he's reminding them of those things and those teachings. He begins by referring to what Jesus announces as the greatest commandment in Matthew chapter 22. When Jesus was asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Love God and love neighbor. All the rest of God's instructions hang on those two commandments. James calls that the royal law. That word royal, it's confusing for us. And I know because some of you asked this week and we discussed it in, in my small group at least. The Greek word there, that, that it gets translated as royal in some of our English translations, but, but it can mean supreme or governing, ultimate. Right? His word choice is very clear. He's talking about Jesus, what Jesus calls the greatest commandment. And he tells us that we do well to live by such a principle. We do well to, to live to fulfill these commandments. You know, it, it's at this point when, when it, it kind of feels like he's, he's actually anticipating the rebuttal to, like, don't show favoritism. And, and they're just going to say, it's like he's expecting them to say, well, we're just acting loving towards the rich, aren't we? Jesus told us to love the rich, and they're our neighbors. What's wrong with that? Aren't we fulfilling the law? And, and James is like, yeah. It's right to love your neighbors, but aren't the poor your neighbors as well? Aren't you acting, acting unloving by overlooking and, and showing unlove towards, your, uh, towards the poor? Those less fortunate, you know, the orphan and the widow that I just told you about, when I said that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Just a handful of verses beforehand. You see, by disadvantaging the poor in their midst, they were practicing defiled religion, that's what James said. They were being unloving towards the poor and needy. They were sinning. Favoritism is sin. No matter how we spin it or justify it or how cute we think it is, it's wrong in the eyes of God. And no amount of loving one neighbor covers up for the lack of love we show another. And James, he, he goes on to illustrate this more, drawing out uh, the, the real famous uh, Ten Commandments, right? Famous part of the Old Testament law. Specifically, he calls on the, the laws of adultery and murder and, and pits them against each other, right? His appeal here is that breaking the law in one way makes you a lawbreaker, a transgressor. No amount of obeying the law in another way covers that up. Right? Like, it, it makes sense. None of us would say, if you didn't commit adultery but you murdered someone, that the, not committing adultery covered that up, right? That's his point. Uh, if you're a murderer, you're a murderer, and that's wrong. You don't fix that by not doing something else. And that's it's because sin is sin, right? 
disobedience is disobedience. And we've all broken the law in some way. We're all deeply in need of grace and God's forgiveness. And that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus gave us and offered us. You see, we can't be consistent people. We can't be people who live consistently faith with the, in our actions matching up if we sin in one area and assume it's okay because we did good in some other area. No. Because you've, you've broken all of the law if you've broken just the littlest bit. And showing favoritism, it's living inconsistency in our faith and action. God calls us to live consistently. He calls us to something different. And that's why showing favoritism isn't kingdom living. So let's, let's look at the final verses in our, in our passage to, uh, to see what we should do. So as we wrap up our passage in the message this morning, we're going to look at James' final exhortation. He's going to call his readers to live with grace and mercy. He's going to call us to live with grace and mercy. So let's read. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy for one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And that's, that's wordy. It's confusing. It took a while to dig into that one. Here's what he's saying. He's saying live consistently in your speech and actions as people who have been set free by Jesus' life and teachings. Live as people who show mercy towards one another rather than favoritism. Don't become judges with evil thoughts. Instead, be merciful and gracious people. Be people who live with kingdom values that truly love all neighbors, not just some. See, the call here, it's, it's to live as people who are judged graciously and set free by Jesus. Your sin has been graciously covered and paid for. In God's mercy, in his kindness, he has forgiven you. So live with grace and mercy towards others. That's what he's saying. That's what he's getting at. Now, here's what James isn't saying, though, because this can be taken out of context. He isn't saying that if you're a believer and you live unmercifully towards others, that you won't be saved. That's, that's not it. Now, he's, he's going on to articulate the principle of true faith, consistent faithfulness. He's saying that those that know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and therefore can't help but know his great mercy towards them. Because they have no other choice. They can't help themselves but live mercifully towards others to live that way. Much grace has been given you, extend it to others. Right, James here, he's pulling from Jesus' teachings in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus tells us that the same measure we use to judge others will be judged to us. And the, and the goal there is don't judge others harshly because you haven't been judged harshly. He goes on in that chapter to give us the golden rule, right? More of an articulation of that principle. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others how you want to be treated, right? We teach, we teach grade schoolers this. Um, that's the golden rule, Jesus' golden rule, as some people call it. It's the very opposite of favoritism, if you think about it, right? Because right? no one wants to be treated like the unfavored person. 
Everybody wants to be treated like their favorite person. Instead, we should live like our faith matters and that we treat all people as favored, all people graciously. We show mercy to others as good as been shown to us because that's kingdom living rather than showing favoritism. And so, Olani Life, our challenge from James this morning is to live and act as people of true faith, people who show mercy rather than favoritism, people that include everyone rather than showing partiality, people who help others fit in rather than let them be excluded. And when we encounter visitors in our midst, because this reveals our heart on this matter, let us be people who work to include them rather than considering if they're easy to love, if they have something to offer us, or if they're valuable in the world's eyes. When we encounter visitors, let us be people who live with the value of the upside-down kingdom, where the poor are rich, the weak are strong, and the servant is the greatest. When we encounter visitors, let us be people who seek to honor the greatest commandment and love all enemies rather than just some. And as we do these things, let's work to remove our innate predisposition to show partiality, because as James warns us, showing favoritism isn't kingdom living. Will you pray with me?